Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. country hello this is pt isles the rise of beauvillier edition i'm miles box joe bono a reminder you can subscribe to this show and every lighthouse hockey podcast on itunes please rate and review or find us on stitcher google play spotify or over at lighthousehockey.com lighthouse hockey your sb nation home for new york islanders coverage Coming up, I'll be joined by Rob Taub, a contributor for us over at Isles Blog, also covers the Devils for the Fischler Report. We'll get his thoughts on the Isles, the Metro Division, and where Taylor Hall will end up seems to change every day. But first, the Islanders were back on Coliseum Ice on Saturday afternoon, a 1 p.m. start. It was Star Wars night slash day, and for the second straight home game, they win 3-2 in overtime. It was Devon Tays last Thursday versus Vegas. And yesterday, it was Anthony Beauvillier with the game winner, his first career overtime goal. And Beauvillier really was the best player on the ice all game long. It was evident. It was obvious. Probably could have been the number one star even without that goal. The relentless forecheck throughout the game actually set up the Michael Dalcole goal, the first of the game, uh, with a tremendous job on the forecheck. Dalcole, unfortunately, you know, had to come out. He did not come out for the second period of this game after taking a hit in the first. Really tough break for him uh, after picking up his second goal of the season after a long, long drought. But uh, for Beauvillier, now 10 goals, 11 assists on the season. That's 21 points. He reached that mark on February 23rd last season. Um, He does it on December the 14th. Here was the out-of-breath Beauvillier with Shannon Hogan after the game. 
Well, Bo, what a thriller here this afternoon. Star Wars night, an exciting game against the Sabres. Take us through this overtime game winner from your perspective. Uh, sorry, I'm out of breath here, but uh, it was just, uh, I don't even know how to describe that. Just lots of chasing, lots of trying to get the puck, and good stick there by Nelly, and uh, breakaway, and I just buried, so it's, uh, it's fun to get away with the win. I feel like every time we're talking, we're here at the Coliseum. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. Going into this matchup, so much conversation about two other players that were part of your draft class. Butch and Brendan talking about how you were the best player on the ice tonight as our number one star. How much pride do you take in having a game like this and also facilitating helping a team win? Uh, it was just just fun to play here. and uh, Yeah, like I said before, I take a lot of pride in what I do. and try to work hard every night and uh, playing, uh, playing this building, it's always fun. You know, and last week we talked about Beauvillier's change in mentality that Arthur Staple had highlighted in The Athletic, removing the hoping to score from his game and recognizing that different ways to contribute, game in and game out. Here's what Barry Trotz had to say on Bo's continued development. Last year, I think Bo went 20 or 21 games with really no production and uh, I let him try to work through it as a young player and, you know, didn't take him out of the lineup when he wasn't producing. He wasn't really playing it that well, but kept talking to him and showing him stuff and letting him try to figure that out. And I think he did, and he had a, a real productive year after that. And then he's, because of that experience, I think he's learning that, you know, there's going to be a game where you're not feeling it. So you can help in so many other ways. And, and um and he's done that, and he doesn't let himself get in his own way. Like young players always, I think they they, they put so much on production that uh, you know all the other stuff goes to the back burner, and when they're not producing, all the other stuff falls apart, and they have no game, and they're wondering wondering why they're not having success or not in the lineup. So I think he's figured that out. I think he's been surrounded by good players uh, and good pros. Uh, just like all our young guys, so I think he's figured that out. Great stuff from Barry Trotz, uh, taking you back to last season for Anthony Beauvillier, and I think, you know, we sometimes forget how young some of these players are and how far along they are in their development. You know, when we look at a Matt Barzell and look at what he did his rookie year, you know, they talk, you know, Barry talked about players getting caught up with the stat sheet and that type of production. I think we also do that as fans, but it's been uh, great to see uh, that Anthony Beauvillier last year, even though he wasn't producing and flat out not playing well at times, they stuck with him, kept on appealing to parts of his game where he can improve. He kept on listening, kept on working at it, and you're seeing the fruits of that uh, more so here in 2019-2020 season. Now, the interesting subplot of this game developed in the third period between Matt Barzell and Rasmus Dahlin. Somewhat unusual, at least I felt so, that you know these two Young players, not overly physical uh, guys, known to run hot. Uh, these very, you know, very bright young stars. They were the ones feuding with each other, and it went on for several shifts. And you know, at one point in that third period, you could actually see Islanders' uh, assistant coaches trying to calm Barzy down, and he was nodding along like very quickly. Um, that he he knew that he was he was kind of it was kind of getting under his skin here um, with what was going on between him and Dolan. But then you know he he's unable to let it go. And then on a shift late in the third period, he leaves his feet, uh, takes an absolutely brutal, inexcusable penalty that you know ultimately leads to the Jack Eichel goal after the Sabres 
pull the goalie and ties the game at two. And, and Barry Trotz, as you can imagine, uh, was not pleased at all by that undisciplined play by Matt Barzell. We were doing the right things. Uh, we got the lead, and we're pretty comfortable with the lead. And then we took a, uh, an unnecessary penalty. That's, that's unacceptable. That was, we, we pride ourselves on team first. That wasn't a team first. That was, uh, uh, that was personal. So a teachable moment for Matt Barzell and probably a teachable moment for the other young players on the on the team um, to show that, listen, this is a team-first organization. You can't put yourself and anything that you got going on personal uh, above the team. You know, there are certain types of penalties that players uh, take sometimes to defend a teammate. Josh Bailey did earlier in the game in defense of Ross Johnson. The Islanders had to a, had a kill a penalty there in the first at the end of the first period and then into the second because of it, they were doing it. That's a, that's a good type of penalty. That is a team first type of penalty. Uh, this, this certainly was not uh, by Matt Marzell, by Matt Barzell. Now myself and other people after this happened, knowing what Barry Trotz has done. And even earlier in the season, he did this with, with Brock Nelson after he took a couple penalties in, in a period that he's known to sit guys, right? If you're going to take those kind of undisciplined type penalties, of course, it meant that the three on three overtime was coming up with Barzell. Who's, dominant at times on the three-on-three in overtime would he sit him he was asked the question here was his lengthy response absolutely you want to have accountability but also you know there's an opportunity for him to you know he's pretty good three-on-three um uh where he you know he can dominate a shift and he 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 did that and we, we almost you know you can make up for it a little bit but you don't want to give anybody, as I said to the team afterwards, you don't want to give another team a point. You know, maybe they pull their goalie and they score, and I don't know that, but it, you knew that they were going to pull their goalie probably after the first minute, and then, you know, you'd be six on four, and now you got guys having to be out there blocking shots. You, you just don't know, you know. You, you guys are selling out. we got such committed guys, especially on the penalty kill, like Casey and Clutter and Pelly and, and, and you guys like Mayfield and Johnny that, you know they're selling out everything, and you know you take one off the foot or you know somewhere off the hand, and all of a sudden you're out for six weeks because you you took a, a unnecessary penalty. So I, I think he recognizes that that'll be a a learning moment. I will guarantee you if it happens again, he'll have a long sit for sure. Uh, and and that there's not just one player. That's everybody. That's that's we don't need that uh, in our game. So great stuff there for Barry Trotz, and he took it somewhere that I wasn't thinking. The idea of, hey, that penalty, not only did it end up tying the game and possibly costing the Islanders a point, it put his teammates in a vulnerable position because these are guys that sell out. They're going to do anything to try to preserve the lead. That penalty could lead to someone taking taking a puck off a, off a foot or off a hand and, and lead to an injury. You know, this is what, this is what separates, I guess, Barry Trotz from maybe – um, the casual fan and, and maybe even other coaches is that he, he brings it to that level. Not only, Hey, not only did that penalty cost us potentially the game, you may have put your, your teammate in a vulnerable position that they're trying to bail you out. And by doing so, um, you know, they're going to take a puck uh, to the, to the feed. They're going to be bruised. They're going to be battered. Uh, things that might happen and may, may be forced to lose time. So he took it to that point where, you know, it's going to hopefully, uh, become a very teachable and memorable moment for Matt Barzell and, again, the other players as well. He's not going to uh, use this and just make it about, about Matt. He's going to use it as a way to talk to everyone on that team up and down the lineup, and I'm, sh- I'm certainly he did after, after the game. But the Islanders get the win. 
now 22-7 and 2 on the year. Third straight victory after those uh, wins at Tampa, 5-2, and then the 3-1 victory against the Florida Panthers. Uh, really impressive for the Islanders to bounce back after the 3-1 loss um, against the Dallas Stars, a game where, you know, the score was 3 nothing, and, and then obviously the Stars uh, were able to capitalize on power play chances. Matt Barstow was in the box for, for a couple of those as well, but the Islanders, like they continue to do against Barry Trotz, you have a little bit of a blip, you look ahead to the schedule and go, oh, you know, they can drop two or three in a row here, and it just does not happen. They just keep on winning, but so do the Washington Capitals. Islanders now seven points behind the Capitals, who uh, won again. They are now 8-1-1 in their last 10 games. Uh, three games at hand on the Islanders, um, but do have a seven-game lead in the standings. Islanders creating a little bit of breathing room right now between them and the Carolina Hurricanes and Pittsburgh Penguins. Both uh, played two more games and are six points back. We'll take a break. When we come back, Rob Taub joins us. Uh, to talk about the Islanders and the NHL. You're listening to P.T. Isles on the Lighthouse Hockey Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. We're back, PTIL's Lighthouse Hockey Podcast Network, and I'm now joined by a writer for us over at Isles Blog, nyislesblog.com, and also covers the New Jersey Devils for the Fischler Report. That's Rob Taub. Rob, how you doing? I'm doing good, Joe. How are you? And I appreciate you joining us. I know you have a very special brunch later on today before you get to settle in and watch some football. Yeah, I got my mom's uh, 60th birthday. Uh, it's, her birthday's not until December 23rd, but she wanted to get everyone all uh, get everyone all involved uh, today, so she's having a little party. So, so no surprise, this was her idea. And is she uh, is she as big of an Islander yeah. fan as the rest of the Tao family? Uh, uh, pretty much, yeah. She uh, <laughs> she goes to as many she, she goes to as many games she can. She does not like Brooklyn, so that's how you know that she's a Tao. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, right now, if you're going to Islander games in person, chances are you're going to see a victory. Islanders continue to be dominant at home. This has been an unbelievable stretch on home ice. Absolutely. They're just they're a different animal on home ice. They, they just seem like they're so – even when they don't – like even like yesterday when they didn't have it, like for that full 60 like you expect like when they play at home, they, they come away with a win. They, they're finding ways to win. It's been fun to watch. You know, you're starting to see the Coliseum. There's starting to be bigger crowds. I think what I think would happen early in the season, I think, you know, there were so many other things to do going on, like, during on game nights. It was still warm out. Now that's starting to get a little bit colder, a little bit, you know, more people want to be inside. I think the crowds are starting to show out. I think they're going to be – I think you're going to start seeing some big sellouts, I think, over the next uh, – hopefully over the next two or three months and then hopefully into the playoffs. But, look, it's been a hell of a run. You know, 60, 63 days, you know, considering this morning without a home loss, it, it's it's absurd. It's really, it's absurd. And the way they want, they want it every single way possible at home, which is, which is being even more entertaining to watch because there, there's been games where they dominated from start to finish. There's been games where they pulled out of the seat of their pants. And there's been games where it's just been hard fought, exciting hockey, like the game against Vegas, which I thought was probably the most entertaining game I watched all season. 
And uh, also what's absurd is that the fact that the Islanders, despite having 46 points through 31 games, <laughs> are, are seven points back in the division, uh, although they do have three games at hand um, against the Washington Capitals. And the rest of this Metropolitan Division, Rob, you get to see a lot of these teams up close and personal um, with uh, not only attending Islander games, but the work you do uh, covering the Devils. Uh, this Metropolitan yep. Division, I mean, you have the Flyers right now in fifth place with 39 points. Um I know. You know, Islanders are, are, are putting themselves in a really good position when it comes to playoff probability. Even the most unfriendly of type of models have them 85, 90% probability in the playoffs, and they should be considering where they're projected. But you've got about four teams in this in this division right now projected to get 100 points. Yeah, it's, it's a very good division. I think the Flyers, they've taken a huge step with Elaine Vigneault as coach. Uh, I know the thing with Oscar Limbaum, you know, hopefully he doesn't, you know, throw a, a wrench into their plans. I have you know, all the prayers to him. Uh, you know, you got you got the Penguins who are starting to find their game. Tristan Jarry's been like their goaltender. He's been, he's been carrying them. Like they're still they're still hammered by injuries here and left. But they're the Penguins still. You still got Malky. You still got Crosby. You got Latang. The usual suspects. Carolina. I I want to see what's going to happen with Carolina when the Islanders play them because it, they haven't played. The last time they played them was early in the season, and the Islanders. You know, they look like a, a team that couldn't compete with them. So Carolina, they're you know they're just hanging around, waiting. I think waiting to make their move. You got the Rangers. Look, they're in rebuilding, and you know they blew another lead yesterday. What I think of the Rangers, I don't think they're on the Islanders level yet in any way possible. I think that they're a growing team. I think they're they're an exciting team, but they remind me of the Islanders under Doug Waite, where they can score, they have great offense, but their defense is just awful, and their goaltending. Look, Gorgiev and and Lundqvist, they've done a great job. Uh, I. I really wonder when they're going to start to transition to make Gorgiev the starter. Who knows what that's going to be? Maybe they'll trade Lundqvist. I don't know. But, you know, that that's going on there. And then uh, we'll transition into, into Jersey. We only have to go to Columbus because we know how bad they are. It's tough to, <laughs> tough to watch after they took their shot last year with Jersey. You know, the whole Taylor Hall situation. I'd, I, I wouldn't say I'd been there front and center, but I was really there when it really started to heat up after the Ranger game. I was in the double locker room when they lost – Four nothing, and they get they were over eight on the power play. And someone I was right next to Hall when someone asked him about those trade rumors, and someone misguided the question. And you could see the frustration was literally he was red hot, he was heated. And I think that's where things started to kind of you started to see now there's going to be some not so steady, not so fun times. And it's been like that the past few weeks. So it you know it, it's a good division. I think the Islanders have like you like you said they put themselves in great position and we'll see where it goes from here. If they keep playing like the way they do, they should, they should be right up there with Washington. I, yep. with Washington, they just seem like they're on a, another level too, but the Islands are keeping pace and they still have games in hand, like you said. So it's going to be fun to watch down the stretch. We'll go back to the Islanders in a moment, but just to stay on the Taylor Hall sweepstakes uh, for a little mm-hmm. longer. I mean, every day it seems like there's a different team that's, the front runner for him. It seemed like he was going to go to Colorado. Uh, then there was some really credible reporters yesterday saying that working toward the deal with the Arizona Coyotes. Um, obviously, Islander fans, you know, Taylor Hall has been an infatuation ever since the rumors of uh, Travis Hamanick, um for Hall several years ago. And, uh, you know, he would be a go-for-it type player, but it's hard to imagine that the Devils would trade uh, with the Islanders in division, even though this could be a rental, I think it would even be maybe harder for the Islanders to do, considering the pieces that they may have to send in division uh, to get a player like Taylor Hall. Absolutely. And I've kind of come to the conclusion that 
And some people have disagreed with me when I've talked to them about it. I want to see the analysts take their shot at Hall in the offseason. That way you don't lose any pieces and you throw all your chips into them. I, look, I've gotten a lot of feedback saying, you know, this is their, this is their moment. Like, they should take it now. Like, this is their time. This is their window. They should go after Hall's best thing. But you know what? In division trades, you don't, they don't happen. And it's, it would be very – it would be so out of left field for Ray Shiro, who I don't really know that much, but, you know, I've been around and seen how he runs the Devils. There's no – I do not see him trading in division. That would just – you're just asking to make your, your division opponent even better and even stronger for the future. Even if he doesn't sign, you still – the Islanders still have to play – they have to play the Devils. They haven't played the Devils yet. So they're going to play them three times. And I yeah, don't but think, you know what, Rob? From my perspective, though, the Devils, I should not, don't think they should be concerned with uh, losing games the rest of the season. You know, they can go try to get the number one pick again <laughs> come, come lottery time. I think they're, I think um, they're on know, their I think, way there. I mean, I think it's more about, you know, if you're an Islander fan, you know, any, any type of call that the Islanders are going to ha- take when it comes to not only players like Hall, but even some of the other um, scorers that are being talked about in the trade market, right. every GM is going to ask for Noah Dobson right up the bat. Right, so I think, what type you know of what? prospect I, I are you going to be willing to give up? Because you know, if you want to, you want to talk about being upset. What if Taylor Hall comes to the island? Islanders have a nice run, but don't win a Stanley Cup, and then you have to watch Noah Dobson or Oliver Wallstrom or whomever else in exactly. a Devil uniform for the next six, seven, eight years. Uh, that would not be fun. No, it wouldn't be fun. And, and you know what? I don't think they would trade Noah Dobson. I think the Islanders with the plan that they have with Dobson this year. And look, if they were going to trade him. I think they might have would have done it already. I think they, I think that he, they see, they see him. The organization sees him as their next great defenseman, and we're starting to see little inklings of that now that he's starting a little bit more playing time. I think now that he's getting a little bit more playing time, we're getting to see like what he's actually capable of. I don't think it starts with Dobson. I think Dobson's off limits. I think Oliver Wallstrom's off limits. I think those are the two guys from that draft a year and a half ago. That that's what the. Uh, the organization is going to build their future on, even though they have pieces in place with Nelson and Everly and Barzell. Those are the two guys mm-hmm. because, you know, you got a lot of veterans on this team who are going to be, are getting older and their contracts are not going to be here that much longer. I, I'm not, you know, I don't want to throw out a Matt Martin, but Johnny Boychuk's not going to be here that much longer. Uh, who knows how long Nick Letty is going to be here? Who knows how, like those type of guys. So replacing those, giving up a guy like Dobson or Wallstrom. And I know it's, look, it's a quick fix and it's, you're taking your shot for a Stanley Cup. I completely get it, but I've kind of come to the conclusion where they're building, and this is a team. This is a team now run by probably I think the best management in the NHL with Trotz and Lamarillo at the helm. They wanted to build. That's been the sole message since they got here. They want to build, and they're building, and you're seeing it little by little. And I think even in Bridgeport, you're now seeing it even with Kiefer Bellows, who. I think if you're going to make a trade, that's the guy I think you start with first. And then you go down the list to Wild and whoever you want to go and then draft picks or whatever. But I think right now, I think let this team build. They're building something not to be sustained for the next one or two years. They're building something to be sustained, sustained for the next four, five, six, maybe even a whole decade. So I, I don't know. I just don't. I do not want to see them trade Dobson. I don't want to see them deal with Wall Street, even though yeah, I mean, Terrell Hall was neither, neither do I. Neither do any, any Islander fans. I'm just saying – you know, opposing GMs are going to start with your top prospect. It's, it's going to be hard. Oh, of course. It's going to be hard to sell to the Devils fan base or whomever else the Islanders make a trade with that we got their, right. you know, fourth or fifth best prospect. And uh, even it's if he's on another, in another right organization, could be higher up on the list, right? So, but I think it's important. You mentioned yeah. Keeper Bellows. Seeing these other type of players be, gain some, you know, 
stock and, and credibility back, you know, that could be a piece that maybe maybe can be can be moved by Lou Lamarillo, who, you know, I, I don't know the exact amount of days. I know you like to be the one that goes back and count the days, how many days it's been since the Matt Martin trade. So uh, we'll see because I don't even you know, you know it's funny I don't even know. <laughs> it's a long I, I time. Track. Yeah, yeah, but if they're in a similar type of position and uh, that they were in last season, and last year may have been mm-hmm. a, a year earlier than expected, but you know you're going to want to you know progress to the second round and beyond uh, this year. So you know you, you read these articles about maybe the best options are still from within. Maybe that's true. Maybe Wallstrom comes back for a second round and is able to be an yeah. offensive spark right away, but. Um, it, it's going to be fascinating what they do or don't do um, at the deadline. I, I just, my bold is, I'll give you a bold prediction. Even when I don't like predictions. I think he goes to a Western conference team and I don't think it's the Colorado avalanche. I think someone else is going to come out of the woodworks, maybe even like, uh, I don't know, Calgary or Edmonton. I think to, to see him go back to Edmonton would just be the storyline of all storylines. It really would mm-hmm. be, but I don't think it's going to be an Eastern conference team. I think it's going to be a Western conference team. Rob Taub, contributor for us over at Isles Bog and covers the Devils for the Fischler Report, is our guest. Follow him on Twitter at rtaub underscore. And uh, let's just get back to this Islander team right now because, you know, one of the most, you know, consistent things about a Barry Trotz-led team is that when they have a little hiccup, they fix it, and then they find a way. And still, as a fan of this team, you know, they have a 3-1 loss at Dallas, and then you're looking ahead at the schedule mm-hmm. and going, ugh. They had to go to Tampa, and, you know, Tampa's going to want revenge from losing that game earlier in the year. And then, oh, 5-2 win. Oh, then, you know, just back-to-back with Florida. You know, they've beaten Florida twice. It's difficult to beat a team three straight times. And they win in Florida. And, and this is what happens. And it's been happening now <laughs> yeah. since last season as well. You see a schedule. They have the bad loss. And you go, mm, can this be the spot where they lose two or three games in a row where they start to have a couple hiccups? And it just doesn't seem to come. Really impressive, the back-to-back wins uh, in Florida against the Lightning and the Panthers. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I just go, I tweeted it before, I think, the Tampa game, and I knew it going also into the whole. Those are two places that over these last, like, the last, like, five years, they have so, they do not win down there. They have so much trouble just coming away with points down there. So it was great to see them come away with four points. But, yeah, I think that both those games, after the Dallas game, which I thought they was a, it was a pretty good, I thought they played a pretty good game. I thought the first period yep. that those, those two, those two goals from, that uh, that deflect uh, those two power play goals. I think the power, like like Barry said, the power play really the penalty kill really hurt them, and it kind of got there. Like they had to like work their way back the entire game, and it was by the time it happened, it was too late. But the two Florida games, I thought they were great responses. I thought they played really well. I thought it was probably their two best road games of the season, considering. And I got a lot of flack for this from, on on Twitter. I said that I don't think this team has been a great road team. I know the points say different. But I look at their performance instead of the points, and I look at some of the games that they won where they probably shouldn't have won, and I look at the games they lost that they probably should have won, the games that they lost that they probably should have won, like vice versa. But those two games, great efforts, great efforts. I think now maybe you're going to start to see that road, the, that, that little bit of swagger. They look like they were playing with swagger on the road again, and that, it's great to see because uh, the challenge is not going to get any easier over the next few months, especially you got another Western, you got another Western road swing. You're going to start to be going up against more like of your division opponents. So it's not going to get any easier, but we saw that like it was last year with this team. It took them a little while, but they were really good. They were a great road team. Like they were probably one of the best road teams in the NHL last year. So I think now that at those two games that we saw this week, it's starting to transfer over that we're going to start to see them really like kick it into gear on the road. And I think that's, 
that's where we, we were going to talk about it in, uh, in a little bit. One of my articles, I said, we haven't seen the best of this team yet. That was one of the things I forgot to write. Uh, that was one of the things I forgot to put in was we haven't seen the best of this team on the road. We've seen the best of them at home. We've seen what they're capable of. On the road, though, it's been, you know, here or there. There's been good games. There's been bad games. Yes, they come away with points, like we just said. But there's still another level they can take it to. And uh, something else you'd love to see, not only the way they played on the road, but both in the game against Florida and then yesterday at the Coliseum, is that this team stands up for one another. You have the Adam Pellich oh, hit, yeah. and um, Ad, you know Andrews Lee got 17 minutes worth of penalty uh, penalties um, after every, you know standing up for his teammate, but then finished off the Gordy Howe hat trick with the empty net goal, and then Josh Bailey. You know, Rosh Johnson's usually the one delivering hits. Um, you know, mm-hmm. takes a hit, goes into the boards, a little shaky coming up, and you know Josh Bailey. And listen, the Islanders ended up having to give up a power power play. They were able to kill that one. Um, but you know, you'll you'll take you know, unlike some of the the bad penalties like the Matt Barzell penalty late in the game, those are ones that, that Barry Trotz will live. And those those are ones that you know mean so much to the rest of the guys in those rooms to see. Yeah. You know the Lees and the Baileys, and you remember back to that game against the Red Wings last year. Where, where oh, yeah. they stuck up after after a big hit, and, and the team kind of got going right after that. So this is this has been another calling card for a Barry Trotz led team. They they really stick up for each other. Absolutely, it's team first. It's the like like we were saying before. It's that building process. They're they're building a foundation, and that foundation includes being team first. No one above the rest. No one person above the rest. Everyone has their job. Everyone does their job, and it leads to them winning. This is the you have to admit, like even uh, like they stand up for it, but this is the most winning any probably half of the generation of this these Islander fans have seen in forever. There's a new generation of Islander fans where they like me and you. We didn't get to uh, we didn't get to uh, experience this years ago in the early 2000s or even in the early part of this decade. There are oh, a generation of Islander all... fans. <laughs> I was around, <laughs> no. but remember they had they had one year that year that they finished fifth in the conference and then they snuck into the playoffs yeah. the next few. Years in the eighth seed so this this is a different degree of, of level of winning absolutely and it's look it's so enjoyable it really is because we waited to, so many fans waited so long for them to finally i wouldn't say get back to where they should be not not saying winning cups but just respectability and being you know being respected around the league like the you only go back a few years ago this team was being talked about as one of like there was no accountability, which that word, you know, I want, I want to get that tattooed on my forehead because it's probably one of the most important words that has revolved around the Islanders past years. But there was like, everyone thought they were a joke. And even after the whole Panarin saga back in the offseason, people thought they, they were a joke. They're not a joke anymore. And the, 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 I, the performance on the ice reflects it. And it's the team first mentality that reflects it. There, there are not many teams that you'll find around in this league that will go this hard for each other. And I've seen it firsthand. Mm-hmm. I'm, it's, so it's just, it's been a very enjoyable to watch and I'm looking forward to seeing it for, you know, however long it goes, whether it's till, you know, next year or for the next 10 years. So Rob, you alluded to it. You wrote an article about that. The best of the Islanders we have yet to see uh, this season. And, and again, that's, I understand that it's a hard it's hard for people to understand that though, uh, considering 17 points and and look at the goalie rotation, how well Grice and mm-hmm. Varlamov have been, and uh, Matt Barzell being a shoot for a scorer and the emergence and of players like Anthony Beauvillier and the defensive core continuing to mature. All these things are happening, yet you still feel like there's room to grow. Explain. Absolutely. Well, I, I go by what Trotz has to, has to say most of the time that there is always room to grow. Thing with like a lot of people now when watching this team, I, I look at it a different way than I think a lot of people. Where 
now that they have a great, now that they have real coaching and they have actual players that know what they're doing and they're all good in their roles, I take it game by game with this team. I don't try and look ahead toward the future. I don't try, I don't want to try and look, I just try and take it day by day. But looking at like, I kind of, you know, went against my, my morals there by saying that they can't, like, there is another level they can take, take it to because it, there is. There's always another level, like, they're as good as they're as good as any team in the National Hockey League right now. Someone maybe consider them the best, maybe the best runner, the, the best like you know on a on a nightly basis where they continue to get points. But I think there's the way the reason I wrote that article is not even about team performance. It's individual. There's definitely some there's some things that still I can see happening, and one of them I said was Ryan Pulak and Dev, and Devontae's like really really kicking into gear. I think they've had a look. They've had good years so far, but I think those two have elite, elite potential. Especially Taves. I I thought when we watched Taves last year, and I was like, this guy could be, you know, he could be a, a potential number one All Star defenseman over the next, you know, five ten years. So I still think there's another level they could take it to. I think that you know, even the four I mentioned, the Anders Lee and, and Jordan Evans, who are starting to they're starting to really come on as of late. And now, you know, those guys where I know they had tough starts at the beginning of the season, but there's another level they could take it to. And, you know, they've, the Islands have been beneficial by not really being unhealthy this year. Have there, has there been a few, you know, spurts where they, you know, you're missing Matt Martin, missing Tom Kunak, or missing Everly, you know, for, for, the, for almost a month. But people, still, people came up in their places and, you know, took, and did, did their roles to a T and, you know, made the most of them. I'm saying that once everyone is on the same page, once the offense is going, and look, the offense is much better than it was last year. They're averaging three goals a game, which you know no one expected after what they did last year because of how defensive they played. But I think there's another level for a lot of these guys to take it to. I think Anthony Babilia can be an all-star this year. I think Brock Nelson could be a 60-point guy, uh, the guy they, they expected him to be. I think Barzell, I know he's, at, he's leading the team right now in points. I think he could take it to another level and try and go for it, like go, get toward his rookie year, you know, really get, put up that 85, 90 points if, if, you know, if it's possible. And even the goaltending, I kind of pointed out that Thomas Christ, he was having a rough couple of games. He had a rough couple of games. He was giving up three, he was giving up three goals a game. Not, not all of it was his fault, but you don't want to see that. And then the bounce back performance he had on Thursday, which was great. I think now maybe it's back. He's, you know, back in the rhythm. And I just, yeah, I think there's another level that this team could take it to. Yeah, I, I, I understand I what you're saying. There, there, you can point to a number of players and feel like they still have room to grow and as, as, as players and that you have confidence with Barry Trotz being the coach behind the bench that they'll get there. And you look at Anthony Beauvillier and the maturity and the, the jump from last year to this year. And, you know, if you can expect other players to make similar type of jumps along with some of the streaky players to get on hot streaks that have been kind of cold. I, I see where you're getting at. We'll, we'll just hope this team doesn't peak too, too soon <laughs> uh, this I, year. You know, and uh, it all happens come around the springtime. I don't think they peak too soon. And I'll tell you why. Because I feel like in that winning streak, I think that's where we could have saw, like, the, uh, the beginning of the end, the way, like, the way it ended in, like, L.A. and, and in uh, Anaheim. And you're like, oh, the, you know, maybe they, they can't sustain it. But they just – it's all about the coaching. And they're, they're, because they're so in tune – to their system and their jobs, I don't think they've peaked yet. I think that we're just seeing, you know, we're just seeing the tip of the iceberg of what this team is capable of. Like I said earlier, there's games that are coming up. You got Boston games against Boston and Washington. Those are going to be uh, 
uh, what's called measuring stick games that they have to win. If those, they win those games, that's taking it to that level and not peaking early. That means that you're still, you're going to be ready. You're going to be fresh for the playoffs and hopefully ready for a long playoff run. Well, Rob, we appreciate a few minutes here today. Have a great time at your family brunch. Happy 60th birthday to Mama Taub, and uh, we'll talk (laughs) soon. Absolutely, man. I appreciate it. Have a good Sunday. We're back, and I wanted to just highlight some numbers here following the 3-2 overtime win at the Coliseum. Uh, It has been the return of Fort Never Lose. We talked about it with Rob the home game point streak now at 13, an eight-game winning streak at the Coliseum, and a six-game home winning streak overall between Barclays and the Barn. Um, look at this stat. The Islanders yesterday tied a franchise mark by winning 73% of their face-offs on, on Saturday. So pretty remarkable a team that, you know, especially the first part of the year, um, were struggling in the face-off department to put up that high of a number. 73% of their face-offs won on Saturday. That would be a great trend uh, for this team to continue. Uh, going back a few nights, um, Anders Lee, of course, picked up that Gordie Howe hat-trick uh, against the Florida Panthers. The most recent Islander to achieve that feat was actually not too long ago. Scott Mayfield back on November 7th, 2017. Kyle Oposo did it in 2014, back in uh, January of that year. Um, but before the Oposo, Gordie Howe hat-trick, you have to go way back. 1986, Dennis Poffin on January 30th in an 8-4 win over the Flyers. His goal that game actually came shorthanded. And looking at the box score, they led the Flyers 5 nothing in the first period that night. Uh, so a fun box score to go check out. Uh, now, before we go, I wanted to just uh, play something that I personally got a kick out of. Um, the Islanders have done these great segments as part of their intermission when they had the guys back for Alumni Weekend, pairing up a couple older players and, and just recording them having a conversation. And the Mick Vakoda, Darius Kasparaitis ones have been very funny. I think the most recent installment, you know, Mick talking about, you know, when you came over as a rookie from Russia, you know, when was the moment when you felt like you can – you were going to be able to make it as a pro. And, and, and Casparetti says, when I saw you and Rich Pilon skating is when I knew I'd be okay. A uh, really funny moment there. But um, Benoit Hogue and Pierre Turgeon were together. And, of course, these guys played together a long, long time in Buffalo with the Islanders and then later on in their careers with the Dallas Stars. Uh, both traded as very young players from the Sabres to the Island. And uh, this is why Pierre Turgeon was pretty ticked off when that happened. You were on the ice before practice, skating yeah, around so before the practice started. Exactly. And uh, next thing you know, is uh, came out to the lock to the locker room, saw you, we talked, and uh, yeah. we were traded. I was kind of happy after. I'm like, you know, Buffalo wasn't really working out, but I think a little change was great. I know you weren't happy. No, I were, wasn't happy. Yeah, well, sure. you know, we yeah. bought homes there. Yeah. And Buffalo in the, in the same neighborhood. Yeah. Put a brand new pool. Yeah, a brand new, new pool. pool. Just. I didn't a, month, a, a, month, a month before, I just put a pool in, and the month after, yeah. gets rated. <laughs> uh, so, Pierre Turgeon, learning a lesson hard there. Don't put pools in in Buffalo, New York. Um, but I'm sure he was 21, 22 years old at the time, had already been scoring 40 goals, cornerstone of the franchise, former top overall pick, and he gets traded, of course, for a future Hall of Famer in, in Pat LaFontaine. But uh, pretty funny there, because I'd be pretty ticked off, too, if I just spent a lot of money and all the work, permitting, and everything you got to do to put a pool in your home and then uh, get traded to Long Island. 
Um, there really also and a couple of other moments in this in this interview between these two ex-islanders. Uh, one talking about what we hear all the time that you know getting traded to Long Island, they didn't know anything about this area outside of the Marriott and the arena, and um, not not much else. And uh, Benoit Hoke says, you know, they told him he was getting traded to New York, and he you know thought the Rangers, and then they told him the Islanders, and he ended up spending months just at the Marriott for a while, but. Ultimately, he became a guy who loved the water, who loved boating, who loved fishing, and just how beautiful and Long Island uh, can be as a as a professional athlete living there. And I would hope that's not the case anymore. Uh, that that uh, players don't know um, how great it is to live and play on Long Island. You know, especially with the at the income levels that these guys are at. Um, who knows though? Maybe especially when when talking about players who are not from the U.S. They're from from Europe or Canada, maybe they still have no idea um, about uh, about Long Island. I guess in future years, they'll be traveling from a hotel to Belmont, so they'll see a little bit more of it than they did from the Marriott to the Coliseum days. But um, yeah, you, you would hope that, that that kind of stigma is over here in 2019, uh, but it certainly did still exist very much so back in 1990-1991. Um, one more clip I want to play before we before we head out. Um, I have an affinity for the 1993 Islanders team. That was the first season I really followed hockey and fell in love with the Islanders and obviously a memorable run to the conference finals. And, um, you know, because they've been like that team has been the one blip of success for so long in between playoff series wins. I think they've been elevated to a heightened level, uh, you know, despite the fact that they got knocked out in five games in a conference finals. And listen, that happens all the time, but they've held a very special uh, place in my heart personally. And uh, here's Pierre Turgeon and Benoit Hogue reminiscing about that season on the island. We came in 91. It was like the tough first year, but after we picked up the team, all the way to 93, great run. And uh, all the experience we had with Al coming in and just the story. Listen, and we're, learning, too. We're learning. mostly in our mid-20s. I was 25 when I came to the Islanders, and, man, the group that we had, even today. We didn't win the Stanley Cup, but I guess it feels like we did. You know what I mean? Just oh, we the did. fact how close we were and tight we were, and and I started with Al. Really? Yeah. Al, you know, you had Pat Slatley as a captain that brought us together at yeah. the same time. The locker room was fun. Always something you kid busy. There was something you had to keep your eyes open. The fans were like great, too. fans were awesome. The fans were awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It was good Incredible. Time. A great line there from Pierre Turgeon. We didn't win the Stanley Cup, but it feels like we did uh, because those the, those players on that team are forever linked uh, to each other. There's a connection there. There was a connection at the time, and it's obviously continued uh, throughout the years. And, you know, for me, you know, there's, there's certain rosters of Islander hockey that you have to maybe go back on hockey reference and you go, oh, yeah, I forgot about him. I forgot about this player, et cetera. That 93 team, you can, you know, you can rattle off up and down the lineup, um, at least for me and maybe for a whole lot of, um, Islander fans that are, are around the similar age, late 30s, early 40s, um, that uh, you grew up with them in your in your early early to mid to late teen years. So that'll do it for another episode of PT Isles. Next up for the Islanders, they host the National Predators on Tuesday night. Then they head to Boston. Talk about a game I'd really like to see them win. Talk about a statement game at this point of the season. If they were able to go into Boston, a team that gives them fits and beat the Bruins on Thursday night, that would be another proving people wrong again type step, and then they return home uh, to the Coliseum, a holiday matinee, December 21st, against the Anaheim Ducks. 
Uh, don't forget to hear the latest updates on this show and all Lighthouse Hockey podcasts. To follow us on Twitter at LHH Podcast. Big live show coming up at the Offside Tavern January the 4th. Dan and Noel will be recording the Isles Buzz podcast live from there. Congratulations, guys, on your new logo, by the way. Uh, very, very nice. Um, and I heard Dan Saracini is going to be in attendance, and, and I might be there as well. So I hope to see a lot of you guys at Offside Tavern on January the 4th. We'll talk to you next week, Islanders country. Good night. 